Welcome to Trailer Therapy, a podcast about trailers, media, and entertainment hosted by two best frenemies. Hey, I'm your host, Brian McKinney, along with my fellow host, Brian Wynn. Hi, I'm Brian Wynn. Welcome back to another session of Trailer Therapy. Welcome back, Brian. How are you liking being on Fridays? (laughs) You know, it's good. Um, I think... It's a change of pace because we're recording this like after a work day or, you know, something like that. So it feels like I'm still in the zone from the week. So it feels sharp. Instead and, of cramming uh, Sunday night. Yeah. So it's like, oh, God, my kid wants to play Hot Wheels. And I'm like, oh, I got to film this podcast, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, it's definitely a change in pace. So that being said, it's, uh, you know, we're, we are back on schedule. 2024, we're doing it. And uh It's been good. You know, my New Year's resolution has been to keep up with this Discord. And uh, it's really hard because it's really active. And I I, every time I scroll through each channel, like we have a foods channel. I didn't even know that. (laughs) And and then I scroll through that for a little bit. Then we have a sports channel. So I was going through that, too. I'm like, oh, my God, every every channel was lit up as if there were people talking on it. So I was just kind of chiming in on each one, you know, so. Yeah, that's what I do. I go through once a day or so, and I'm like, oh, I'll just chime in real quick here, chime in real quick there. And you're much better at it than I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've been uh, um, talking to, and you know, and it's funny because I I chat on there, but then people would DM me on Discord, and I didn't know that Discord had a DM feature. So those people were just left on red for like since like November. So I finally got back to them and they're like, oh, yeah, is there a better way to contact? I'm like, just email me. And they yeah. start emailing me to talk to me, which is perfect. I don't mind. Email me. You know, if you don't have my email address, hit me up on Discord. I'll give you my email address because <laughs> I check that. I check that like religiously. I check that obnoxiously by every like 10 minutes so i will always see an email when it comes in so if you're if you want to get my attention shoot me an email same yeah if my wife's trying to get a hold of me and i'm like i've got the ringer off if she (laughs) if she sends me an email i'll reply to her in like two minutes yeah exactly you know we have record time email responses (laughs) very true um but yeah other than that man you know you know what i've been playing (laughs) welcome to game chat yeah i'm gonna make a game chat little theme that we chime in every time we talk anything about video games but uh um i started playing minecraft oh yeah cool (laughs) only because uh my wife um and uh, her friend uh her friend right now has had covid for like the last two weeks so Mm -hmm. she's been at she's been off work at home and just chilling playing minecraft and she asked my wife if she wanted to play Little did she know, we used to play religiously. So I even like bought a server for Minecraft so that we can all play together and stuff. We're such nerds and it's grown quite a bit. There's like, I think six or seven of us now on that Minecraft server playing all the time. So if I'm not working, that's what I'm doing, I guess. Sick. Yeah. I had a server for my kids and like their cousins and stuff for a little while, but then yeah. You're paying for it every month. And if they don't use it for two or three months, you're like, uh, is, is this worth it? Yeah, it's fun. Because if they ever go back to it, you can always just renew it and they yeah. still have that same world. It's not like they just, it's not like Mojang or Microsoft is just like, oh, you didn't pay it this month? We'll delete everything delete. you have. No, that's what they do to each other when they get mad. They're like, burn each other's houses down. And then- <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we're going through a nice little civil war in Minecraft role play right now. So it's uh, excellent. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. You know, uh, I finished from last week to this week. I finished my Damon, that show I was telling oh, cool. you about. 
finished it. Super beautiful. Um, I got into watching season two of Reacher. Also really Excellent. good. And then uh, I watched it because of my mom. My mom's like, have you watched season two of Reacher? And I'm like, oh, I haven't. But my podcast host keeps telling me to watch it. So <laughs> uh, I finally watched that. And then uh, what else have I been watching? You know, I've been trying to take a break from One Piece um, because uh, it's a really slow arc. But at the same time, I don't want my whole year to be one show. Um, yeah, so there's that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so that's all I've been doing, man. I've been, and you know, just trying to catch up with work. It's the first, it's the new year. So it's an influx, whether or not how your week's been going and stuff. And like, we've had projects that sort of dropped this week that we've worked on months and months ago. So although it's kind of seems like, oh, wow, first of the year, you know, stuff's coming out and it seems like we've been like really cranking away, but at the same time, it's like all that stuff is from months previous, you know? So now it's just trying to figure out what our year is going to look like, figure out how we're going to be efficient, I guess. And uh, I think that's my new year's resolution to myself is one, watch less one piece, but two, um, be more efficient in everything I do. So, yeah. It's hard with the efficiency, I, I try to do the same thing, but it's one of these situations where you're dependent on other people for yeah. a lot of the stuff. So like I have all these big plans and ideas and w once I get them figured out, then it's like, well, then I need to get those ideas to the composers. Then I need to, you know, wait six weeks before they get back to me with the demos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've got big plans. I'm just waiting for the first, um, album demos you know aren't due until like later this month so yeah I, I, i've just been trying to catch up on all the admin stuff that i wish i had someone to do for me <laughs> i f i feel that <laughs> you know i i definitely do feel that it's like especially in the beginning phases of stuff i feel like you're just wearing so many multiple hats and stuff yeah um and like you know just trying to like move forward and stuff but you gotta think like oh there's like 20 different things you have to get done in a day just to make sure that your company is still kind of running and stuff so totally i completely feel that and you know i think those are always just part of the woes of uh having your own kind of business and stuff so i commend it yeah and i'm on east coast time so it's like you know i get up at six get my kids to school i'm back home by like eight yeah. and then um you know the folks in la don't start until like noon my time so i've got be, be from eight to noon to do all my yeah. admin stuff and like do stuff around the house but then you know like noon hits and everyone was waking up getting in the office starts sending yeah. emails and it's like my busy time is in the evenings and afternoons which that's hard be rough yeah. but it's all right it's good i like to be busy. yeah like i i think about it i just think about the last week and stuff like that because usually trailer houses if people don't know they they, they work at nine it's uh they, they start hitting the ground running at nine o'clock but then they don't it's not nine to five you know sometimes it ranges they typically leave around six or seven so sometimes if especially if you're on the custom side you might get a project in at 7 p.m pacific time which you know for you be on eastern time you know it's like almost close to midnight you know so it's like yep. it's already like the wind down period of your day when like someone's particularly asking for a hundred percent of your attention and I think that was one of my decisions. Um, I remember right in the beginning of COVID, um, the other two partners moved to Nashville and they did definitely ask me to move with them. They're like, hey, it'd be great, you know. Um, 
better taxes and hmm. yada yada and stuff and you'd be able to afford a house and i was just thinking to myself that there's there's so many great applications of it but the one main thing that held me back is the shift in time zone because if i wake up at seven now i still have two hours before work but then roughly around eight o'clock or something like that i can be like done done you know yeah i know i must really annoy people because you know, nine, 10 o'clock, my time hits and I'm just so antsy to do stuff. And I, that's when I start sending them emails like, Hey, you know, what do you work yeah. on? Can I do, you know, I'm just, so I'm totally. sure they like come into the office at nine. They're like, Oh, McKinney's <laughs> been emailing me again all, all night or whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, what's the strategy? What strategy would work? Is it better to have, um, a waiting pending email right when you walk in or is it better to have an email when they're in the middle of work and then it just pops up where are they more likely to stop to look at and stuff so totally and i think you know maybe that's another topic for another day because it's like the efficiency of like composers reaching out to publisher is very is very close in hand to how publishers go and reach out to clients you know because at the end of the day composers are looking for work and on the other side of that coin publishers are looking for work we're reaching out to people like hey what campaigns are you working on can we get a pull in for this oh yep. you know maybe there's a chance to do a custom on this who knows like you have to kind of go through that you know to to be able to get because sometimes we call them the actuallys which are like just you send an email and they're like actually a project just came in <laughs> right yeah, exactly so yep. you know it's always good to kind of do those kind of cold emails because you get those actuallys and those actuallys sometimes they come in clutch because you just it seems like fate just perfect time perfect place you were just there totally. and then next thing you know like that was some of the beauties of being able to be going into this uh trailer houses and stuff at the time because we'd be sitting there talking and then we'd be looking at you and they'd be talking about a project and they're like actually <laughs> yeah you know, actually it's it's nice to be just right there on the front of their cerebellum or whatever you know and yeah they're exactly. like oh yeah you know what why don't i have you do that i was gonna email so-and-so at so-and-so but yeah we'll, we'll yeah, let's do that no I, definitely yeah, yeah so it's like you know and i don't know i i feel like this is definitely the year to try different approaches with marketing. It's definitely a, 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 a trying time of trying new things, you know? How I kind of want to go about pitching music is pitching music and relating them to movies. Just being like, this song, this 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 album is like, if you took Venom and put it together with Star Wars. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, what does that sound like? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, it's just finding really... Um, movie related ways i think i've said this before but in a brian tyler interview he says most of the time to get really good relationships with directors and uh and people on the film side is you have to speak film because it's not they're not going to speak music all the time so you yeah. might as well be able to speak their language so someone that might not have a huge experience of being able to explain musical things but they can still explain con concepts and abstract conceptualizations and stuff based on movies so like I really like how they did this in Venom and it would be cool to do something like this, but you blend it with like, I don't know, we blend it with like the Avengers theme and like that kind of visceralness and recognizability. And then, and then it goes into something cool and swag, like snake eye or something <laughs> like, there's, you know, there's these keyword hot buttons they use. And the, the sooner you kind of go to understand them, the sooner that you feel like you're a lot more of a well-rounded 
one producer to uh, a person in this industry, you know, uh, it's it's clear when you talk to a composer that has wants to do trailer music for the sake of trailer, doing trailer music, but they don't really know what's happening in trailers or in movie trailers or what's going on, what's happening, because it's still part of the movie industry and the advertising industry parallel together. You know, mm -hmm. it's still part of them. It's not just doing the music, but it's really understanding the market as well. Yeah, I think that um, the one thing that I would like composers to stop doing is pitching me on weekends. <laughs> um, yes. You know, it's like, I understand that you're like got time off of work and that's what you're you're doing, uh, you know, yeah. catching up on your admin stuff or whatever, but I'm not going to have time to listen to your music on Sunday afternoon when I'm hanging out playing Legos with the kids. And yeah. then by the time Monday morning rolls along, I've got 30 more emails on top of that. And I might yeah. not think to go back to it. So that that's that's a good time to schedule one of those yeah. you know, delayed emails. Yeah, a good one is I started using the Spark app email, the Spark email, and then they have scheduled emails and it's really well done in how they do it. And you can have your you can have it off and it'll still send it exactly when it wants. It just keeps in your out outbox. And yeah. uh I I just started setting those all up so that I'm not sending customs so fast and sending it like, oh, if I got it in like a night early, I send out a schedule for the morning just so I know it's in. And I used to do that too when I was uh, pitching to publishers and I was working nine to five. So I couldn't mm -hmm. hit them up at noon on a Tuesday because I was in the middle of like a health insurance job. So I just scheduled all those posts for those times and they'll usually respond back the next day and then I'll schedule another response the next morning, you know? So it seems like I'm having part of the schedule and it seems like I'm just more on top of it, you know? So I don't know. There's always a workaround. There's always a way, you know, you got to really think to yourself in, in, in a sense of looking for work is great and getting, getting this stuff and making money is great. But it's like, you also want to think about what's the best light that you can represent yourself in, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I've said this, and I'll say this always, it's just like the precarious writings and the precarious posts and everything like that. It doesn't add to your brand in, in any particular way. So you want to just be clear and concise, professional, calm, and make sure that you kind of get, get in a good rhythm with your publisher. So if you're pitching to a new publisher, schedule those posts, you know, and also, yes, I don't want to hear on you. I don't want to hear from you on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just schedule them. It'd be so much better. Yeah. Um, no, that was tangential, but good information to yeah to hit on here early. Um, I, yeah, I didn't really tell you too much about what I've been up to. In what the have you been world. up to? I've been playing Tavern Keeper on Steam. <laughs> Wait, is that the is that the tavern management game? Yeah, kind of like it's the medieval it, tavern management game. <laughs> is it good? I saw the I saw the ad for it. It was like half off or something. So it was like $7 and it's just, it's so dumb and fun. Yeah. And it's simple because you basically just don't have to do a lot. And in my you old age, mugs. I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not like the Twitch gamer that I used to be. So yeah, yeah. you just sit there and, you know, set prices on your fish stew or whatever. And I'm, I'm telling you, change if you the love wall tapestries. 
if you really like that game, you should definitely play the game Moonlighter. Never don't know if you've played it, but no. Moonlighter is so much fun. It's like you're a shopkeeper during the day, but then you're a dungeon hunter at night. So oh, at night cool. you still get those action moments, but during the day you get the manager shop and you have to set the prices. And you it's kind of like quoting for trailers. You you quote it too high, they're like, mm, and they walk away. And if it's too low, money sign shows up. So you're like, ooh, I could have quoted higher. You know? Yeah, that's cool. And I think yeah, I think about that all the time. So you got to manage prices with the market. <laughs> it's like the new version of um, when I was in school, we were on Apple IIe's and we had the, yeah. uh, the lemonade stand game or something. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so I'm like, I'm always thinking like, oh, I, I like to go back to those old times where it's so much simpler with the <laughs> crappy graphics and just changing yeah. the prices. Uh, yeah. No, exactly. Like, especially since I go on like TikTok and I see like people's gameplay footage of like cyberpunk or something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, like they played a different game than I did. <laughs> For sure. You know? Um, so yeah, no, that's really cool, man. I saw that on Steam. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I was gonna get it, but then I was like, ah, I don't know. It's on sale, it's fun. Um yeah. and I watched the holdovers while the um Golden Globes. Oh, nice. My wife and kids were watching the Golden Globes. My Daughters were hoping that Taylor Swift was going to announce some new Taylor's version album. And we're like, she's not going to do that at the Golden Globes. That's not the time or the place for her no, to make that was, kind of statement. Um, it was just a Joe Coy. Yeah, but they watched <laughs> anyway. And they were just mad about <laughs> the Joe Coy making fun of Taylor Swift. I think everyone was just mad. And you know, it's funny. That was like probably like the least <laughs> offensive not, thing he not did. Not offensive. That yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, not in funny. Terms of like, yeah, exactly. I've never had gotten. Like my sisters always talk about secondhand embarrassment. Yes. Whenever they watch like a really like like American Pie or some kind of movie that they feel I've never felt secondhand embarrassment before until I watched his monologue. <laughs> and then I, I I never I I didn't know he said something and like my spine like like it like I got like shivers. <laughs> it's like the secondhand embarrassment was so real. But it's the death by cringe meme. Yes. Yes. It was it was sad cringe. <laughs> yeah so but yeah uh, that's it's awesome man so we both had a very eventful week and we you know we're raining in the new year well actually we had a new year's episode last week so this is the second week of the new year um is, yeah we're well into the year 2024 <laughs> it's all it's all downhill from here all downhill <laughs> there was one particular trailer that i felt like everyone was kind of talking about um it dropped yesterday what was that trailer it was it was a good one are we talking three body problem Yes, three body problem. So good. It was. It's so good, and I, I'm so stoked. And I, the book. Um, I had a friend it? of mine. I have a friend of mine, and I didn't know it was a book. And then I had a friend of mine who told me that's like his favorite series, and he didn't know that they could ever adapt this. And from the teaser he saw, he loved it, and he was. He's not the kind of guy that watches trailers and be hyped for an IP. Like if I'm super hyped for like Avengers, that's like a level of hype, but. He right. doesn't feel that. So um, they explained it to me. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I want to watch this now. So I've been really keen and waiting for a trailer. Um, and, yeah, it was uh, it was a really good one. It was a Radiohead cover. Yeah, it was a Radiohead cover that Crystal Creative did. Yeah. I guess they all, they also remixed their cover for the trailer, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. And it's uh, Trailer Park Cut It. And it's yeah. a Netflix film or series right yeah it's a series yeah yeah it reminded me of the apple plus series like invasion and the foundation yes but exactly it just it looks like it 
the pace is a little faster and a little more like spaced out, you know, weird, like trippy. So that's, no, that's definitely right up my alley. Yeah, no, it's, it has that Apple kind of premium on mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, and something to really note is they're, they've been really forward thinking, um, with this remix and cover and stuff. It's because I didn't know this until I read it on LinkedIn. Um, they made a whole album that was like this Radiohead cover and remix thing. And it's something that they kind of thought ahead of time to yeah. do. And it's something that we've talked about. And I think it's something that's been mentioned before too. It's like, Hey, practice, practice on the so-and-so song. It might be a good arsenal to have, even if it's just practice, you never know when this practice track might turn into something real, you know? Um, you know, I, I've done Radiohead before I did, uh, uh no surprises for uh, midnight sky. And mm-hmm. that track started as just a practice track. So like that track just started from me wanting to do better chords. Yeah. <laughs> and then it and then it evolved into something else. But that's what they did here. And and I love Tommy there. Tommy is the coolest person in this industry besides us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love him to death. I wish him all the success. And this is just another thing, another notch uh of their success. And this is just the start of the year. So it was a really, really good trailer. I like doing this podcast because I can see posts like Tommy did today and be genuinely yeah. happy and excited instead of like kind of like bitter and like, you know, I didn't get a shot. Depressed. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like that when I found out that they did a whole Radiohead covers remixes album, I thought that was yeah. so cool. You know, I we've got a bunch, obviously, from yeah. various things before, you know, in our catalog. So I mean, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just combine them all. I'll do my own Radiohead album. <laughs> yeah. And to my knowledge, I think you really like Radiohead. <laughs> I do. I like those guys. Because that was the first thing you hit me up about <laughs> ever. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I completely understand from your standpoint. It's good to have this sort of outlet to be able to talk about other people's success. Us being publishers in this world and this in social media, it's so it's so easy to feel so surrounded by other people's success that it feels like it drags you down a little bit and and one of my resolutions this year is just to really accept everyone's success because you know Mm -hmm. and i think i've heard it somewhere that like you know a lot of the times people aren't people don't want you to succeed you know and i think that it's true to an extent because it's almost like an inward insecurity on yourself in a sense so i've just been really trying to just celebrate everybody and yeah, like there are times when you drop a trailer and I hit you. I'm like, damn, I watched it three times. I, walk, I went upstairs to listen to it in surround sound because it was so good. I think it was Unsung Hero. I was just like, I'm so happy for you. But I'm also so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, same to you. And I always will like congratulate you first and then listen to it after, you know, <laughs> just so I don't have any emotions when I do it because they're no, always totally. so good. Um, yeah, so we we tried. So like you know, um, yeah. So all in all, great work. Also, we jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any exactly. Anytime there's a Radiohead, I, I think uh, the accountant a few years ago, um, Todrick Spalding at Mob Scene did the um, music supervision yeah. for it, and they also used a Radiohead song. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's the same one. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, like 
I, I wasn't quite working trailers yet, but we still pitched a couple things for that. And uh, mm-hmm. so I was like, that was my first like sort of tinge of like, oh, this is way better than yeah. my idea. It's, you know, it's been interesting. Every single time I've gotten a Radiohead request, um, it's always been a very special track. And I feel like it's always lent itself so well in the cinematic realm, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a cover, whether it's a trailerization, I feel like it all kind of goes hand in hand with them. And especially if you get stems, it's just, it, their stems are just fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's dope, man. This is just the Radiohead podcast now. Well, here's a funny aside is that um, when I lived in LA, I started my own independent record label. And my first signing and release was Tom York's Radio brother. Ed. No, it was Tom York's brother, Andy York. <laughs> he uh, he used to have a band in the 90s called Unbelievable Truth, and they were signed to Virgin Records, I think. Nice. And I saw them open up for Tori Amos at the University of New Hampshire in like, I don't know, 96, yeah. 7 or 8, something, you know, back then when I was still living in New Hampshire. And yeah. I thought it was so good. And at one point, I got in touch with Andy and... um he was getting ready to put out this record in, in the UK. And he was, we were talking about like me doing the PR for it. Cause that was what I was doing at the time. And he was, mm-hmm. and then we were kind of like, well, do you have anyone releasing it in the U S and he's like, no, I was like, well, I'd love to do that. And so I started a record label <laughs> and got distribution and pressed, you know, a lot of CDs <laughs> that I still have Very in nice. my basement. You, um, yeah. Nuts. Got a, got a lot of good press coverage for it. Obviously everyone was like, you know, Either they knew about his old band um, or, you know, they would mention the little brother of Tom York and, you know, having to live up to that stuff. Uh, But yeah, it was so cool. And it was such a fun album. And they got, he got accepted to South by Southwest and they were going to do an official um, South by Southwest showcase with Manchester Orchestra and some other bands, but they didn't get the acceptance until like, I don't know, two or three weeks before the festival. And they weren't able to get their visas in time. So they couldn't come over, had to scrap the tour we had planned. And Damn. that sort of killed the album because that was like, you know, the, the momentum we were looking for. But then, you know, did some other indie band stuff too. But that's my little claim to fame. They, uh, the Yorks have never invited me over for Christmas dinner. <laughs> they, they sent it, they, I think they sent it to you and that like, you were just not at home and then they just, and then like it blew into the wind. They probably sent and it to my Sequoia street address in LA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it blew far away and someone picked it up and they're like, oh, whatever. And they ripped it up. And then to this day, the Yorks are still like, man, that McKinney, that bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally he never maybe. even RSVP. He never even said he wasn't going to come. <laughs> so funny. So but yeah, check, I believe. check out Unbelievable Truth. Unbelievable Truth. There I can speak. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm throwing it on there for you. Um, and then we'll definitely include anything and everything in our little show notes on Discord. Sweet. Um, yeah, so that was a little jog down memory lane. Um, there's any other notable trailers that you want to talk about? I know we've got some stuff to get into for the main theme you of know, the episode. There- but it's so it's so funny because like in the beginning of the year you get like a drop of like a, a small drop of trailers as you're kind of preparing for the spring and summer season and you know there were a bunch of stuff like for example they like brought back soul turning red and yada yada mm-hmm. into theaters this week and stuff so they've been promoting that um and then there's just been kind of 
at least in my world, there's just all the video game drops and stuff because they're preparing for spring and summer and stuff. So yeah. like for us, we've been working on like the Valorant stuff. And then, uh, which is funny because we never really put like a huge emphasis on uh, like video game trailers. And it's funny because a lot of the times, not a lot of people in trailers kind of care about it. It's mm. like, oh, it's theatrical or bus. I feel like I would get more traction if I did like a TV spot for like a movie as opposed to do like a full seven minute cinematic for a trailer, you know, for a game um, trailer. Yeah. Yeah. A video game yeah. trailer. So, you know what I mean? So it's like there, there's like a certain weight and value to what we do. Um, but it's funny though, cause I had a music supervisor reach out to me yesterday and he told me, he's like, okay, I'm on the panel of this. And we just watched a bunch of stuff and the video game trailers blew my mind. Like he never <laughs> thought video game trailers were like that. You know, he's like, in my head, video game trailers did more for me and my soul creatively than the movie trailers in, in a sense. And it, and a lot of it has to do with, it reminds me, video game trailers always kind of remind me of like early A24 trailers because one, there's no budget. So you have to be really creative. Mm -hmm. And two, you have to really rely on a lot of tricks that you can get away with, with, because for big movie trailers, they just slap a gigantic trailerization on top, tricks your brain into being like, this is a great movie or whatever it is, get you hyped. But not every movie can afford that. Not every movie can afford K-Flay, you know, <laughs> or not every movie can afford, you know, uh, Rush, Tom Sawyer. Um, so like there's this undeniable amount of hype that you have to get. Like I watched this trailer of Light No Fire and it just used Alt-J's uh, uh, Hunger on the Pines. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautiful. And I felt like, man, if they use this song in a movie trailer, I felt, I feel like one, it'd be cheaper for them than to pay for Billie Eilish again. And then two, it's one of those things where it has such an artistic and I don't know, this weird, cool abstractness to it. It reminds me of the Green Knight trailer that just used this small band, Black Math, the song Laps. Mm -hmm. And then it reminds me of, you know, the mute trailer using like a really small sci-fi song and like these i feel like these um i feel like these are like so like specific and they have to rely on such um style and taste and confidence to get away from to distract you from the fact that they're not putting as much money into like a video game trailer than like a average tv campaign you know it's also a lot more about the style and substance and flair than it is about like a narrative you know with the trailers they're constantly telling a narrative and some people you know might feel there's too much narrative in some trailers but with the games it's harder to do like a three-act story so it's more about mm. like getting you into the world of the game showing you the cool visuals the cool cinematics and and just getting you hyped more than it is for like trying to explain who the, you know, villain of the third act is and like, you know, what peril is going to befall your hero. So it's slight, slightly different. It's more of a vibe, I think. Yeah. Like look at the hype for the Blade video game trailer and then mm -hmm. look at that, you know, just it, it, it had nothing. Right. <laughs> it right. Like it had nothing. But like if they did, they would never do that for the like the theatrical or Disney plus version of it, you know. They'll do K-Play Blood in the Cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I get it, you know. So it was just interesting hearing that from uh, a supervisor that has never really dived into that side nor cares about video games. Um, and it's kind of interesting to hear their perspective on it. They're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know. Like, they've been in this industry, but, like, on the other side of the coin. So it's just like they're not 
they weren't even sure that that was there. Like, sure, there's like still like the beautiful Lego Fortnite ones, which is like a giant trailerization of a song that's like typically yeah. you'd hear in theatrical. But then there's there's stuff like Marathon, which was a crazy electronic song, which is very Love, Death, and Robot. I think the closest video game trailer we got for a like a streaming or a movie domestic or something like that is Love, Death, and Robot's teaser, which is just absolutely crazy you know it's just completely psycho the teaser for love death and robots on my top 50 just because of how obnoxious it is um and yeah so um it's interesting who knows maybe we'll we'll, we'll take a uh, feedback from our listeners and stuff if they want us to cover video game releases and trailers as well those one is a little harder for us to always innately track down who did what and stuff but yeah Absolutely. that's something that we can definitely consider but I think because we have a lot to cover in the next, in this next part, we'll just vamos right into it. Yeah. Let me uh, real quickly shout out uh, Mother's Instinct, my buddy Joe oh, Totino, yeah. uh, landed that one with Dream a Lot, doing the music um, a day or two ago. That's a neon release. Uh, Empire Design yeah, cut it. They were did the uh, music with Warner Chapel. And yeah, it's dope. It's like, uh, it's very cool. Anne Hathaway and um, yada, yada. Looks cool. Moon Dude, right on. Yeah, Joe is killing Joe's it. Joe's killing it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he, he's charging me now every time I mention his name in the podcast, so that's the last time. I think McKinney said Joe a few more times. He just didn't, you know, he's just editing them out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so for the main topic today, we're revisiting customs. I know we did an episode... Uh, back in 2023 if you remember that far back where we discussed mm -hmm. remixes and customs and sort of um a, a, just a real breakdown of that whole side of the industry that we do and today we're just going to talk about some of the terminology of customs some of the the topics and things that are discussed some of the words that are thrown around by music supervisors and us and maybe the composers haven't heard it said that way before or don't know what they're really asking for when they're asked for some sort of creative stop down or you know what an interpolation is that type of thing um and let's just start with uh talking about customs real quick and you know why don't you run down for me what a custom is yeah so a custom is when a client wants something for a particular project. So that's a different from your library, which is has almost a faceless and soundless quality of it until it aligns itself to a project. It's a, a custom is a particular kind of music that is started from the need um, to fit a particular um, set of specifications for a project. So whether it has to um which we'll cover into which whether it has to interpolate a melody um kind of weave together transitions from one cue to the other be able to um you know do certain things that is very specific to a picture or, or very specific to the particular campaign that you can't really achieve from just having a broad catalog or it can definitely be one of those things where it started from a catalog and then it just needed changes based on that, which then it becomes a customized catalog queue. Which is sort of what we were talking about with the uh, yeah. three-body problem where they had that, you know, Radiohead cover 
and then they had to do a custom remix for this trailer. So when doing customs, there's a lot of different requests that you'll get, whether it's a custom of, let's say they want us to remix a popular song. Maybe they'll want to take a cue from a prequel or previous movie and kind of mm-hmm. reinterpret that for a new sequel. Uh, or maybe it'll be just a totally original piece of music that they'll want us to create based on their notes. Um, so there's a bunch of different ways to go about it. We've got some um, some terms written down that we'll go through real quick and just kind of talk about in really no particular order. The first one is interpolation, which is something that you mentioned a second ago, mm-hmm. which an interpolation uh, typically is a cover. It, it's usually the you know the act of interpreting a song and putting your own spin on it. You're usually you're using the original melody of a song and creating something with that melody, those chords, something new. It's not, you're not sampling, you're not remixing, but you're creating something new, like a cover. Yeah. So you use those words kind of almost hand in hand covering. It's a cover of a melody from this, or it's an interpolation of it. The reason why the the word interpolation has gone more and more into our industry is that's what it's written on our clearance, <laughs> on a legal clearance and stuff from, from the finance teams. So it's like, oh, this is an interpolation of the Star Wars theme, <laughs> right. you know? So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a very, that's a very simple one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I remember, you know, one time I was doing a remix of a song and for the overlay that we did, we used the vocal melody from like a chorus mm. or something as, as the, you know, our main like melody for, for our remix, Yeah, which yeah. that, that's what I think of interpolation because, you know, we're like interpolating the vocal chords, which aren't exactly yeah. the same as the, you know, the piano or the guitar chords. Yeah, no, and it's it's definitely interesting because a lot of the times you have to be able to think about the interpolation from a stem level too because they're like, in these particular stems, what stems contain any interpolations of the melody? So if you're looking at a group of stems and sometimes if by any chance the editor only uses the sound design, the drums, the hits, and any of the non-tonal stuff, you're like, well, no, none of this was actually an interpolation of anything, you know? Um, but then you're ranging into like the strings, which a lot of the times if you're just doing the chord progression, that's usually, that's fine. Of That's free of any interpolations. But if you're incorporating the melody any, or the, any riff melody that yeah. you like turned into like short strings or something like that, like all that stuff is considered. And a lot of the times there are some vendors and some studios that require a breakdown of, um, of your stems and then essentially, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that spreadsheet. You know, there's some studios, I won't name them, but there's some studios that, require them for every custom oh, they'll brother. be like v, from v1 to v8 uh list all the stems here and list if they contain asset or if they contain interpolations they contain this they just want to be able to cover just in case i guess down the line if they want to remove the asset if it can be uh considered a, an original cue as opposed to being considered a cover even even so i get you know? it nobody wants to be sued yeah, that's, that's, or you know, I think that's everyone's twice. resolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, or if they've already paid for it, they're like, well, we're, you know, especially a lot of the times how I kind of go about customs and stuff. I'm like, just think about it this way. Cause like they'll do like a custom and I barely hear the original asset. Like they use the original asset yeah. in the first three seconds and then just an original. And I tell them like, even for this three seconds, they're paying X amount of money. Can we justify it a little bit more? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's interpolation. Um, 
The next one is uh, creative stop downs, which the definition of it uh, stands for integrating breaks for action, dialogue, sound design, you know, etc. Needs to be able to have space between the music, etc. For creative stops downs, it's it's very interesting because you really want to take context of what kind of campaign it is. So, a creative stop down for something like Green Knight is going to be completely different from The Killers. It's going to be completely different from Despicable Me. You know, whereas you're looking at creative stop downs, whether it's going from um, section to section or if it's like a comedy, I try to do them uh, every two measures, just have a stop down for jokes, yada, yada. So you really got to keep note of what projects you're working on because sometimes it's super catered to that. So I remember when we were working on like Ice Age or something, we put. We put a sucker. We put one of those stop downs like every measure. It felt like it was just like da 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 da. Stop down, goom goom goom. Edit it. It keeps going, you know, just so that we knew that it's something that the editor will be able to take, and then maybe be able to use as a rug pull into something else. Right, versus something like a sci-fi epic is probably just going to be the longer chords and pads, and you know, more like sweeping. You won't need all those. Like, you know, you'll you'll have some of them probably in the second act for some action and stuff. But yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah. a lot of these are coming actually directly from composers and listeners uh, that they sent to us on Discord or Facebook asking us to to explain. So I know I remember someone wanted to know about creative stop downs and sort of how they could, you know, interpret those for for their own music when doing customs. And like you said, it's going to depend on the the genre, the style, who's asking for it. You know, so it's, there's no one right answer. Maybe it's going to be, you know, like uh, a downer um, sound effect, or it might be a straight up stop, you know, there might be a reverb tail. There might not be, it's just going to be different every single time. So yeah, it's hard to say for sure. Yeah. I try to keep the stop downs to a complete stop um, just from a wavelength standpoint. So like, even if you have a simmer, simmers, stops and then that's and then it goes into the next one i usually try not to have those audio tails collide just because from an editor standpoint they want to be able to be like okay there's a complete stop we can cut that and move it you know so without having whatever to make into the stems too much yeah without having to like apply a fade in yeah through stems <laughs> you know? all things are possible but yeah the, exactly the less work they can do or have to do the better yeah i you know from from a custom standpoint i try to think about like because in my experience i've worked with x like when I feel like I, when I first started, there were like a handful of compo- uh, editors I worked with that just didn't use stems that just cut from full mix. So you just want to make sure that all of that was like, you know, pretty much in good standing. So, yeah. So what's the next one? The next one is the pickup or the anacrusis, which is what it's called traditionally. We just call it the pickup, which is, um, well, the definition here is the introductory note. Uh, the introductory note or notes leading into the downbeat or the one of the phrase, which is essentially, let's say if it's a four, four song, it's essentially everything that happens on the four right before we get to the one, the downbeat. So whether it's like a downbeat, you know, so it's the pickup. Some of these are on a um, document that you uploaded to discord to our um, podcast assets channel and yeah yeah this is one that i grabbed from there and one example that you gave was uh phil collins uh in the air tonight where the drum fill comes in <laughs> to the verse yeah you know but then there's more than just percussion too you get the sound design a lot of the times people do like a uh riser mm-hmm. rise or downbeat 
goes right into it. So, um, and that also applies to a lot of uh, customs when you're working with like um, vocal stems and stuff. There's stuff that you want to have it emphasized. I think I remember when I was working on Wish and there were a lot of pickup notes. There were a lot of like vocal comes in and then the rest of the stuff comes in. So we wanted to make sure we honored those to give her a spotlight. And that's, I feel like that's what pickups are really good for. They're good for silencing the gap and getting you back into the motion. Because a lot of times when you do these creative stop downs, you're stopping all the momentum that you've built from the previous section. So it's like, boom, we're done. Just kidding. God, you know? <laughs> so like, that's, that's, that's what I call them. I call them the fake outs. I call them the just kiddings. And then I, and then we're back into the action. That's yeah, momentum and, you know, getting people stoked, getting people stoked, yeah. getting them excited, you know, just doing it. Yeah. Making yeah. it dope. Um, yeah, making it dope. Um, what's the next one? The next one's pods, which we've talked about, and it's kind of like a hot subject around the water cooler, uh, Facebook and whatnot. And so pods are basically just sections of, yeah. of a queue. Um, they're the different sections. Like you could consider your axe pods, your act one, act yeah. two, act three pods. Yeah. But also, you know, I, I, I think it's really this term is coming from like an editor's timeline kind of terminology yeah. um, where basically any little section you do could be considered a pod. So I, we've just been using it as a, as a, um, as a catch all for really like any little segment you want to do. So, you know, we're working on an yeah. album right now and I'm like, you know what, instead of just doing like act one, act two, act three with breaks in between, let's do like, you know, a, a pre-climax pod, you know, a, uh, mm. a stinger pod, and then like an alternate ending pod, just so there's some different options yeah. for the editors to use. Yeah, and that's how I apply to customs and stuff. Exactly. Because especially because it depends on the subjectiveness, you know, or the or I'd say the vagueness of the brief sometimes. And you want to be able to make sure that you have enough to work over multiple pods and interchange them, modular pods. So when you're yep. looking at a three-act structure, you're looking at like a six-pod type trailer where you have the opening, the, the build, the exposition moment, depending on if it's a teaser or a trailer, you have the exposition moment. Then you have the breakdown, which is like, the hero's journey kind of the hero's doubt kind of i call it the the somber moment which is like another pod altogether you get the ramp build and then you get the montage and then usually the act three the back end i would consider it two different pods because you have the breakout which is to emphasize and accentuate the footage but then you also have the energy ramp up after that so you would consider the repeat of the act three a different pod also because that's typically maybe it's separated by a stop down or something like that boom we're into the final montage maybe it's maybe it's going through all the graphics and maybe it's going through all that and then we have a pod for the main title which is just like boom it's the title of the movie and it's just like we want a pod there and then if it's a comedy, if it's an animation, you best believe there's a button, which is just another segment of music after that, because they're about to explain another joke, you know? Yes. Uh, which brings us, we'll just skip ahead to button. So there's there are two terms yeah. here that could be interchangeable depending on what you're working on. One is a button, like you just mentioned, which is, you know, yeah. follows a title card and it might be a joke or an action scene before like the coming yeah. soon section. But then also yeah. if you're doing like advertising music, or, you know, they'll ask for a button ending, meaning they want a definitive ending without a tail or a fade at the end. Yeah, so no, exactly. A, a lot of the time, I'll tell cus, uh, composers for our album tracks, you know, I, I want a stinger ending. 
So it means like after the climax, third act is over. I want them to come back in with a stinger because that might be used for a title card or something, you know? And that's going to be like bringing the climax back in with some big percussion. And then usually it will fade out a little bit versus a, a button ending, which is like stops on a button. Yeah. Yeah. Like I consider the button, uh, I, I interchange button ending with like coming soon card, <laughs> you know, yes, like yeah, I'm like, sure. cause it's typically the date card or date card. That's what they usually call it. Um, so like, yeah, it definitely depends on the campaign. If I know I'm working on something a little bit more prestigious, um, there's certain like parameters. I'm like, I know it's going to go into like a big soaring montage and then it's going to land right on the, then it's going to land right on that card for coming soon or coming in December, you know? Yeah. But when we were working on like Tetris, I knew, I knew for a fact, I'm like, there's going to be some like button joke or something before, da, 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 before it ramps into the card. So the button ending goes into the button. And then, so we just kind of plan it because a lot of the times we just want to make it, you know, it's kind of hard because at our, and on, on our part, we just want to make it as flawless and easy as possible. But we also want it to sound good. And we also don't want you know the editor to kind of like make shift one and then they call it a day you know we <laughs> right. want to be proud of it too so we want to be able to get that done so usually we'll we'll probably announce it like i usually write it on my brief if i want it like a button ending yeah i mean the reason that we're talking about these terms in customs is because you're not necessarily going to do all these for your catalog submissions you know yeah if you're submitting for an album you're probably not going to have all of these things unless they're asking for it like you know, we might, for a custom, we might have like, you know, 12 pods or something, right? And if you mm -hmm. just listen to that track by itself, like if you're like, oh, I want to listen to some trailer music on my way home from work, and you put that on, it's going to sound weird because there's no dialogue and yeah. action sound yeah. design versus your traditional, you know, three-act sort of epic music trailer cue. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. It's, uh, I think, you know, uh, a good example, we just did the uh, Death and Other Details. Uh, trailer that dropped uh, earlier this week and or last week and it was one of those things where we knew there was so much dialogue because it was like a it was like a detective show essentially yeah so we knew there's gonna be a lot of dialogue so we knew there's a lot of moments where we had to like bring the energy down which is something we probably wouldn't do if it was a library queue because we want to just keep pushing the envelope on it but knowing that it's for like a particular thing we know how to control dynamic levels to be able to kind of allow those things so we would have a specific I call it the exposition pod, which is just like the pod where they're going to explain everything before it gets to the pretty stuff, you know? So yeah, there's that. Um, we talked about it, which is the outro and title card. Um, that's essentially title card, main title card. Um, all that stuff is basically when the graphics of the main thing comes up. It's Madam Web. Rebel it's Moon Unsung Part Hero. 2. Fire yeah, Rebel the flaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Zack Snyder's opus, Rebel Moon Part 2. <laughs> Rebel Moon Part 2. So, like, yeah. So we got to keep note of that if we need a title card. Whether, or sometimes it's more of a humble and a little bit more of a seep-in kind of thing. So, you know, it's depending on the type of brief you get. But that's what the title card is. So I was watching trailers today on YouTube, which I do, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And usually there's ads that play before and you can skip them after five seconds or whatever, because I don't pay for yeah. YouTube premium. Maybe I should start doing that. Um, and one, <laughs> one that played was a trailer, you know, it was like a 15 second trailer for some movie. Yeah. It never said what the movie was. 
you know, there was a graphic probably for the studio, but it was one I'd never seen before. It's like an indie film. Yeah. I'm like, well, okay, maybe I really want to see that movie. <laughs> you just forced me to watch the trailer for it. And I don't know what the movie is. Clicked it. There was no click. There was <laughs> you, nothing to click. You know, it's funny because a huge rising market on TikTok or and on YouTube, I didn't know this, but it's gotten me to watch so many movies. They don't tell you the movie name. They don't tell you anything. They tell you garbage, any any garbage description of the of the movie but they show you like the best scene or like a really cool scene from it mm. or and then they'll narrate like girl does this goes to the grocery store and she's being abused by her husband and she's gonna take things into her own hand and then she, they're just narrating the scene and kind of giving you context and then it just ends and then you have to go through the comments <laughs> to see what movie it is and i'm like wow that sounds like a good movie i want to watch that yeah, you know so um but yeah so another thing this is actually the first terminology it's funny. This is the first terminology I was ever told starting customs in like 2016, 2017. And it changed my mindset about customs altogether and changed my mindset about how to approach trailer music. Um, and I was working on this superhero campaign. I had no right working on it because I was just, be I was like a beginner, but I was working on it. And um, the editor, I was working hand in hand with the editor. And the editor was like, there's four superheroes that's going to show up. So I want to emphasize want each one equally. So almost think of it like it's like a drum roll ramp or something, but there's an emphasis for each one so I can hit each one. And they called it a cast run when yeah. it's running through Jake Gyllenhaal, yada, 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 yada. Or sometimes I go, don't, 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 don't. And they like go, scroll down the list and stuff. Um, and that's usually my question when I get a cast I'm like, how many how names many? are there or how many graphics are there? What's the succession of the graphics? Like, is it coming in like a machine gun or is it coming in like one, two, three? And if that's the case, how many are there? So like, I kind of know now I've just kind of gotten to the broad point where I just do four and then they just have to kind of squeeze them in. I remember when we did Tiger's Apprentice and, uh, at the very end, they just looped something we did, and then they just did an eighth note loop of it, dun, 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 and they showed all the names. I'm like, I we didn't do that yeah. on our end. They just did it themselves. <laughs> they made their own cast run. Um, so um, yeah, so that's what a cast run is. It's typically the second half or the first half of the back end pending. Um, I usually tell people if there should be a cast run. I usually look up the movie that I'm working on the custom for. If it's Scorsese. <laughs> Yeah, if it's Scorsese, you're doing all the names. Hell, if it's Zack Snyder, you're doing some of the names. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's like, you know, if it's a run of the mill uh, type film, maybe there's no, maybe there's no cast run. Maybe there's just a, a director reveal, you know. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, if it's a big movie, there's gonna be a cast run. Like you best believe, if Robert Downey Jr. is gonna be in it, and there's gonna be like a thousand actors that are notable, they're gonna do the biggest cast run ever. So. Um. Yeah. So there's that. What's the next thing? Uh, I think we skipped over ramp which oh yeah the ramp yeah, is, yeah, a, yeah. is a is a build that's up. important yeah it's a good one um which is sort of it goes you know it can be like in any part of a of a of a queue but usually it's like ramping up into your next act um yeah which is a it's the build up it might be a riser like you said or a percussion um section where the i, I think uh, this is on your your sheet that we have on discord talking mm -hmm. about the percussions doubling speed from what it was before or syncopating in a way to give it a sense of momentum um that can happen you know in towards the end of a of a client of a act one or act two or act three or whatever to build up ramp up to that big moment 
Um, yeah, like, you know, ramp can be from anything. It could, be, it could act as a transitionary piece where it ramps out of a section or ramps into a section. So a ramp can actually be used as a pickup as well. And, um, you know, I try to explain whether or not I need like a really long ramp for a thing coming up and um, something. Yeah, that's essentially the ramp. You know, I feel like that's something that I use all the time. It, it It's almost second nature. And I'm like, oh, yeah, just do a cast run and then have it ramp and then it hits main title. And then there's a button and then it ramps for the date, date card and then we're out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, another Another one that's not on this list that I probably get into is a studio logo card. Mm -hmm. I always say it. And I just, cause I want them in the mindset of it. I'm like, okay, it's an open premise, right? Open drone. Things are coming in 20, 30 seconds. You see a shadow silhouette of a character. It zooms in character turns around, goes to black studio logo, a 24 Netflix, whatever it is, the logo comes. That's when the second part of that first act comes in. That's when the next pod comes in. That would be the pod. It would be the studio logo section, you know, the director card from Zack Snyder, you know? So like I, I always use that and I use it as a good determining factor to separate because the intro is always, especially for like big sci-fi, big blockbusters are separated by two different uh, openings. So you get almost like the fake out where you're like, I don't know what this movie is, yeah. you know, because uh, sure when you click on the link you know what you're about to go watch the madam web trailer but when you're in theaters and you're sitting there the movie the trailer just starts and you just you kind of have to piece it together in your head like oh what is this and then boom you're like oh it's sony oh wait oh you know and things are coming on things are going on it's getting more involved and it kind of guides your hand through it i feel like how I feel studio logo cards are is imagine if um, you, know, you let your child just run free for a little bit around the park on the grass and then the studio logo is right when you grab the kid's hand to take them to where they need to be, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so there's, there is studio logo as well. What is the next one? Um, overlay, which is something we sort of br uh, brushed on yeah. earlier when we were talking about remixes and interpolations. Um, yeah. You know, real simply, it's just the music that you're creating to put over an existing song. It's anything that you create as a composer when you're doing a remix or a custom. Yeah. Yeah. From a clearance standpoint, uh, overlays um, is draped over. It's an overlay, you know, it, let's say you overlay an image, you know, it's like a different layer that's on top or like Photoshop. Um, it's not adjusting anything from the um, original file. Let's just say you're working with Michael Jackson's thriller and they just told you, Hey, we need an overlay for this. You just need to throw stuff on top. You're not cutting the track. You're not adjusting it. You're not pitching it. You're not making cool thriller, uh, ramps using the it's original vocal. asset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you know, you know, beat it, beat it. You know, like you can't do any, you can't do any additional things, uh, liberties of the original asset. Um, I remember I had a studio. Melody. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I had a studio say that that's vandalizing <laughs> the original song, which is a little harsh because I feel like then at that point, I'm just a professional vandalizer. A of studio art. said that or a label? An, a network said that. A network told me that because they uh, did not want remixes. They did not want you to touch the original file. They didn't want anything interpolating it. They didn't want anything. They just wanted straight up like drum sound design and chords, you know, they wow. said anything else vandalizes the intention of the original art, which that would be 
a remix. Yeah, that's the purpose. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're hired we call to do. it a remix. Yeah, which you know, it, it does. It's it's all the same to the composer in a sense. The only reason why we classify them is that they go through different clearance. Uh, they go through a different uh, clearing process um, at the finish line, whereas an overlay doesn't have to get the original label involved. The remix does. Yeah. So it so that's that's what you got to do. You know. So if you're if you're vandalizing uh, Olivia Rodrigo, you better know that her team is going to listen to it, you know, and you call it a remix. She will listen to it or at least her team will to approve it. So weird because they're going to listen to it anyways, even if you don't vandalize it and they listen to your chords and your percussion. They're like, whoa, this is some vandalous, some scandalous damage, too. Yeah. So like I remember we uh, we were working with Ariana Grande's uh, Seven Rings, and this was years ago. We did it for Gossip Girl. And I remember them telling me, they're like, we got to really strictly do like an overlay because like their team is a lot more like they're very picky. Um, so we did it. And then their team ended up still listening to it. Like I, like you said, even it was an overlay, they still listened to it. And fortunately, they approved it. But then because they approved it, we were able to like, do a little bit more and do a little bit more. We just kind of, we're like, at this point, they like this. So we're just going to cram as much as we can just so that we can have a part of it. So, um, but yeah, that is the overlay and that's also the remix. So that's the difference between them. Now, another composer asked on Facebook um, how to make something A24-esque, which I get it all the time whenever we're getting briefs from a, a trailer shop. You know, they want it to be very A24, even if it's not an A24 film. Just because A24 has established a vibe for themselves over the past five, yes. ten years. Yeah. Um, to, to me, that usually means it's, like, kind of quirky, but still, like, cool. You know, it's, like, interesting, something new, but isn't ne necessarily, like, overboard. But, I, of course, it depends on what we're working on how much we're going to get into that A24-ness of it all. No, definitely. And you know, it's funny. It's like even A24, possibly in the next five, 10 years, isn't even going to have that A24 vibe yeah. anymore. They just have the the remnant memories of it. Like, I feel like that's a lot of cases. Like Warner Brothers, if you look at Warner Brothers 2010 to 2015 and look at like the amazing trailers that came out, a lot of it still carries the weight of the studio to this day because of what they've done before in the past. When you look at Man of Steel or the original Godzilla or yada yada, you know, or King or Kong Skull Island is just like, or back so to the Matrix for that reason, you know? No, exactly. So it's like when you're looking at something like that and then you're looking at early A24, they established this vibe mainly because at the time they can only afford yes. library. Yeah. They can only afford those things. They couldn't afford, like I said, was talking about with video game trailers. They were on par with video game trailers. They couldn't really afford orchestra marketing budget. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't afford like a gigantic trailerization of Billie Eilish, you know, right. for hereditary right. or something, you know, like they had to lean into something. And because of how successful it was, they just, you know, they just, they just leaned into, they just marketed themselves as like, we're the cool out of box ones and their movies in terms of their ROI. It's like, it's great when they make a movie or buy a movie for like five to $8 million, but then make like 30, 40 million. It's no spider-man money but it's enough for them to fund the next six movies you know so um that that was their that's always been their approach their approach has always been out of the box marketing so that's why you don't really see a lot of 
billboards for A24. So you get this out of the box nature. Talk to me was a great example of that. Hereditary, Midsommar. Um, a lot of the times you'll even see them straight up use score from the from the feature like Minari. Mm. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, agent uh, studios that's been trying to like not copy them, but still kind of emulate a vibe, searchlight, neon. Um, that's been really trying to do those type of things. I even, even, what, what is it? Even like Showtime, no FX, even like mm. FX, which yeah, is like yeah, a TV yeah. network, like does really cool pieces yeah. because they know like that Dave they. Dave and the bear and. Uh, yeah, exactly. American Horror Story, all those things. Yeah. Even they're like montages. They're like, oh, this is what's coming out. And they do like this really cool, like key crop that like uh, edit and something like that. Like they, they know how to make people hype. And I would say that it's hard because I wouldn't just go off of old A24 as a reference, because if you go off of old A24 as like a reference to do now, then you're, you're kind of missing the point of A24. It's like you want to find something that's inherently cool and weird that you feel can be a vibe but at the same time fit into like the denomination of what their campaigns are going to be which a24 does have a full slate next year and they have it out so that you're able to like kind of look at um yeah that being said you know we typically here don't do a ton of customs for a24 so <laughs> that that's that's all i get you know i don't typically either get the a24 ass i just think that at this point they just know me as meathead meathead action guy <laughs> they're like how do you make this more fun and that's pretty much my role so i don't think i've ever been asked <laughs> to make something more a24 <laughs> we're not talking about terminology anymore now let's just cover some topics that some people wanted to know about as far as customs go how to get into customs so i mean i think a few weeks ago on facebook on the big composer trailer composer group people were talking mm -hmm. about customs and the people who are successful at customs how you know someone said oh i'm doing so many customs that i you know i'm so busy and then someone else said oh so people are so busy with customs. So that means that there's a balance that, you know, we're, we should be getting more customs since we're not busy with customs. How do you get into customs? You know, it's like, it's really hard to say. You're not just giving out customs to just anybody who asks. There's a trust involved. There's timing. There's cool factor. There's all these factors that go into it that you really need to trust the person who you're giving the custom to knowing that they can turn something around quickly and it's going to sound as good as some other people's work might sound after yeah. a week of work. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I just had this conversation with the composer right before this podcast. They're like, I would love to do more customs for you. And I'm like, you know, it's great. I'm really glad that you have the gumption to ask. Um, you know, I'll find a custom for you when it's ready. And he's like, well, I know you work on customs every single day. Like, can I just be like a third or fourth or fifth option? Yeah. And I'm like, that's like totally against the point of like what we do only because if I was just churning out customs and not listening to every, any, any of them, then that's it moving away from a brand or moving away from an ideology. I totally believed in, you know, which is always working really, really closely hand in hand with the composer to be able to be like, okay, this will work. This won't work. I think it needs this. I think it needs this. Um, just coming from my perspective as a producer. So, um, yeah. So I think that, uh, everyone has a specific niche and I feel like there's always going to be a specific ask for it. Um, but you know, it does definitely depend on the composer. Um, you know, a composer that, 
solely only does action comedies and stuff will thrive right now as we're preparing for the spring and summer season. But someone that might only specialize in horror might not get as much traction right now as they would in, let's just say, summer because we're preparing for the horror season. Right. So it's like there's a market. So I think that the only thing you can do as a custom composer to want to be available 24 seven all year long is to be able to kind of range into a lot of these sort of elements and genres and stuff. Yeah. Once you establish that trust and we we know that you're capable of doing this sort of work overnight, then even if we don't have something for you that right away, maybe you've got like, you know, the regular like two or three people that you're using most of the time. Yeah. There's going to be a time where someone's sick, someone's on vacation, and you know it's yes. like playing basketball. Like the coach is going to call you off the bench at some point, but you know we need to know that you're there on the bench and, and you're capable of of hitting your free throws. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. So it's just like it, it's it's definitely hard because like I I get it. You know, I get it from the perspective of the composer wanting to wanting to work and wanting to do those things, wanting to be the second option, wanting to do this. But it's like you know. I, they they all have their time and they all have their place. And um, I think you nailed it right on that. Uh, another question was, can composers request to trailerize a song? Um, I think what this person was saying is, so the composer says, hey, Brian, you know, I'd really love to remix Radiohead's Fake Plastic Trees. I know that it's not a custom for something you're working on, but, you know, they want the practice or whatever. Yeah. I think that's yeah. totally great. I think that's awesome. One, it shows yeah. you and me what they're capable of. Yeah. If, you know, they say, yeah, if you say, yeah, that's great, do that. And then it's like two months later and they send it to you, then you're like, well, did it take you two months? You know, that's kind of like going against It's the, a barometer. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going against the nature of what a custom is. So uh, I think you said before um, somewhere that you used to like set a timer for yourself and you do like, mm-hmm. you know, two hours or an hour or something. Yeah. And then shut it off. And what, what you had there was what you had. Um, yep. I think that's a great practice. Once you're, if you've never trailerized something before, yeah, it's going to take you some time. I wouldn't say start with an hour and then like you're still laying out your timeline and, you know, tempo yeah. mapping or whatever. Try to do it within a timely fashion just so you get a feel for what that's like. And you never know. Um, it could be really awesome. And then we'll put that in our catalog and we might pitch it out for the next brief that comes in. No, exactly. So it's like, it's, it's one of those things where once you do it, it's like we get a barometer. Like you said, I used to practice using just a timer because I would get heavy anxiety whenever a client brought something to me when I first started. So I need to be able to kind of break that and really get into it's, I don't know, it, it seems very pretentious, but like you want to almost be like an, like an, an athlete when you're thinking about this. As soon as something starts, you're like, okay, I know what to do. I know what my process is. And you stop kind of thinking about it as like this, this grand thing that you have to figure out each little thing. You just kind of move and go into it, especially for trailerizations, for remixes, for everything. You're like, okay, I know the basic premise. It's great to have more time. All Any extra allotted amount of time I have is spent on on research, you know, at least from my side, if I'm doing the custom that I'm researching little things that might give me an edge because I always assume there's like 10 other people doing the same custom as me. So what am I going to do to set it apart? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a good example was like, we were um, doing this Valorant episode eight and I was told ahead of time, there's like, Hey, there's going to be like six other people on this campaign. 
with alongside you guys. And in my head, I'm like, all right, that's cool. Inside, I was stressing out. I'm like, what am I going to do differently? So I started looking at all their notes and I started looking at what isn't on their notes that they wouldn't be too mad about if I changed. And then we just went for it. They're like, okay, so I'm, I'm going to add this part. I'm going to add this part. I'm going to add this part. I'm going to call everything back. I'm going to put everything together. Everything's going to gel and it's going to be, it's, it's a, it's a home, it's a home run hit. It could possibly, you know, it's definitely, or no, it's a pinch hit. You know, it's definitely one of those things where it can either break it, make it or break it. So I take those risks if I know that there's um, a lot of people on it, because that's the only way that you're going to get yourself known. There's only way that you're going to get yourself above, above everything else. So um, that's what we do. And just practice, 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 listen to a lot of music. I, I, I don't know how to stress this enough and I will, if I were to die, my tombstone would say, please listen to more music because I can't have it where the custom people I work with, a lot of them have such great taste in music and they can easily call back. Like, for example, I'll give them a shout out, but Michael Lee, man, I usually sometimes forget how good this kid's taste in music is because he'll, I'll, I'll send him something and I'm like, I'll give him a reference. He's like, oh yeah, it's just like, it's like that one U2 song that does something like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's like the U2. And he'll be like, <laughs> Actually, I think there's this Rage Against the Machine. Tom Morello does this really cool thing that goes into this. And in my head, I'm like, man, like, yes, that's exactly it, you know? But it's not like, oh, I heard Audio Machine's last album and I want to do exactly that, you know? Yeah. It's, please listen to more than just trailer music. I cannot, you know, I cannot stress that enough. It's, it's always been one of the things I've always leaned on in terms of my music writing is that I bridge a lot of genres that I love listening to and trying to try to bring it into this because one, it'll give you a more defining sound and it'll give you a slight touch of authenticity to your music that you're doing, especially for customs too. I had one guy who could, um, he could play guitar, play drums, do backup singing, do vocals. So any custom he did, even though we didn't ask him to, he would layer all the vocals with his voice. He would layer everything just so it sounded bigger. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know this until I'm like, wow, vocals sound really good here. Like I just assumed it was the asset. And then sure enough, looking at the stems, like, oh no, he added 60 layers of his vocals. to this. <laughs> That's why it sounded bigger. But like, it wasn't something I asked him to. He just came from a theater background. So he was able to do these things. So I don't know. Uh, it sets yourself apart. makes yourself a little bit more of a... Uh, uh, a writer, I guess, in our custom writer for at least in my book. So, yep, I, I agree. You know, it's uh, it's also kind of like that ten thousand hours thing, right? Like, yeah, you got it. If you're a composer and you've been composing trailer music, but you've never done a custom, yeah, I, I'd say maybe you've done you know your eight thousand hours or whatever, you know, just arbitrary. Yeah. But until you're yeah. really in there doing the customs, getting the notes, working on the timelines doing yes. exactly everything that we need you to, then it's, I, I don't feel like you've achieved that 10,000 hours. And so it's yeah. going to be harder to, to build that trust and actually move forward into that. Cause like you said, you don't want to do five different things to no. send to a client. It's, they don't want five different things. You're not going to be able to have your fingers in, you know, yeah. the work molding it with the composers getting deep into it with five different things. Yeah. And it's, it's diluting everyone's chances. 
is diluting everyone's chances. There's X amount of editors from X amount of agencies from X amount of using different publishers. And those publishers are using X amount of composers. The most we can do is try to narrow down the composers being used so that they get the highest chance possible. Because if you do like 10 customs for like this one idea, well, first off, you're burning 10 of your composers yeah. for the rest of the week's worth of work. Cause they're not going to do the rest of the week worth of work is if they're already working on one. Secondly, even if one of them was dope, that means you lost nine. <laughs> right. You know, and I don't know if I can handle that. Like losing one, losing one of one to a to a campaign is already hard. But knowing we did like 15 options of WAP, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a no-go. Um, so like the only time I ever do multiple options is if the client has multiple songs yep. and he's like, Hey, we have to be able to hit all these because you never know which one's gonna finish. Um or if they ask specifically, and it's really rare when they ask, like, hey, it would be really great to have like two Probably, options yeah. on this one. Like if they ask, I'll accommodate, but I also let the composers know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always let them, they, they know when they're competition with someone else and they always know if they're in competition, you know, they know they're going to be competing with everyone else anyways, but at least within our company. So that's that. Yeah. Not as much anymore. When I first started on customs, I, I feel like we did do like two or three options more mm -hmm. because I didn't have that trust and rapport with those composers. And exactly. there were, there were times where, you know, we'd be like eight hours into a custom and then, you know, the composer like had to go to work and wouldn't be able to get to it again until like, you know, dinner time the next day, or they got sick or, you know, their cat had to go to the hospital or, you know, like all these things are going to happen. So it was good to have that sort of backup, but now not as necessary. Sometimes I'll talk to the composers first and be like, hey, I, I'd love you to do this. Are you cool if so-and-so does something like totally different yeah. or the same thing, but you know, they've got a, a different style. Yeah. Are you okay with that? And yeah, you know, usually they are. It's it's sometimes yeah. it's good to have a backup because Boy, nothing's worse than when a music supervisor is expecting something from you at 10 a.m. and, you know, 9 a.m. rolls around and you have an unfinished queue because the composer got COVID or whatever. Yeah, it, that was a lot of the stress in the beginning for me, especially transitioning from composer to producer. In my head, I'm like, okay, then I'm just going to finish it. And I spent the first year, like half and half, like I'll just finish other people's stems, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's gone to the standpoint now where it's hard. It's hard to branch out and get new composers because I do trust the ones I have so much, yeah. you know? I can trust that if I give it to them, that I can just let my hand go. They'll run and they'll come back and give me something, you know? Like I don't have to like worry about it. And in my head, I compartmentalize everything. So if I'm having them on a custom and I explain the brief to the best extent possible with spreadsheets and pictures and whatever it is I send them off I don't have to think about it anymore so my mind just leaves it and then I get a check-in date I get a check-in time to buffer I get it I go through all the notes that I had for him and then I go through the music I give notes send it back out to him then I'm like going doing my thing but it's like at that point <coughs> at that point it's like it needs to be at least 70%. That's my trust in them is that they'll take it at least 70% there. That's making sure everything's on grid, making sure everything's in key, making sure from an auditory standpoint, nothing's sticking out to the point where it stops my listen. I just want to be able to add stylistic changes on top, but like the core of being able to do 
the custom, they have to be able to do, you know, they have to be able to hit at least a 70, 75% threshold. And that's when I give notes, you know, yeah. that's that. Man. That is that. I, I think we pretty much hit everything that we needed yeah. to hit for this one, as far as what people were asking for and kind of explaining a little bit more, you know, detailed strokes. I think when we talked about customs and remixes before, it was more broad strokes. Um, so it's nice to sort of dig in and yeah, people love this topic. It's one of the um, most interesting things to do in trailer music is do customs and remixes. And it can be um, quite lucrative for a composer to do them. So I know yeah. everyone's really excited to, to get their chance. Um, I get it. You know, it's like for one, you know what project it is. It's mm -hmm. almost like you're inherently kind of, even if it's on the side, you're kind of working on the movie, you know, you kind of get that sense of tangible manifestation of what your music is going towards. So I get that high, you know? Um, yeah. The sync fees are higher. The stress is there, but you're, you're, you're working at an Olympian level to, to work on this stuff. Like, it's crazy to think. It's like, Oh man, I remix Aerosmith and now it's in this big sci-fi movie and I watch the theaters and it shows up, you know, like you get this tangible sense of ownership for it. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a great topic. And also up until like years ago, it was very lawless and not a lot of people really knew about it. So any, any sort of discussions sort of talking about this topic is gonna be, it's gonna be interesting because it's people setting down these kind of ground foundations of what used to be a very lawless sort of profession. Yeah. It's just a really fun, cool, <laughs> exciting part of the business. Yeah. Um, nope. some people, yeah. some people love it. Some people hate it, you know, and there's an inherent burnout from, you know, the, uh, the win to loss ratio is, is, can be extreme. Yeah. You know, like, I, it's like there's some composers that just feel like they have the Midas touch and everything they touch wins. And then I have some, they're like the most talented people that don't win as much. <laughs> so it's like, um, just hitting that perfect stride hitting that wave at the right time while you're surfing you know so um but yeah that's that's the terminology also if anyone needs any other terminology sheets are found in the discord i made a big table of content kind of terminology sheet that everyone can read and it's pretty much all of this that we talked about and then some just added clarity i guess for some of them mm -hmm. but yeah if anyone has any questions it's on discord this literally this entire topic and all these questions came from discord today yeah, is people wanting us to talk about it some more. Um, yeah. Because like we said, it's interesting, exciting. There's not a ton of uh, documentation, yeah. I guess you'd say. Yeah, it's dope. So we're happy to do it. Yeah. So there you go. There's episode 13. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Please follow us on social media. Join the Discord. Links are in the show notes. And... um some of you have been doing this five-star review thing on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate it. So keep that up. We love you. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll read some reviews <laughs> at some point. They're, they're all so nice. Yeah. I feel dorky reading them. But uh, I'm going to read all of them. You'll definitely read some. <laughs> Out loud. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, you know, we really appreciate everybody here and uh, continue to grow our Discord family and stuff. And, uh, yeah, keep the dream happening. And... Wait for it. All right, all right. Cue the outro music. <laughs> <laughs>